if you hadn't noticed, I am not Paul Grider. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to edit that out. But <laughs> uh, Paul is a great friend of mine and best. We've known he and Angela for a long, long time. And one of the things that I appreciate so much about Paul is his passion. I mean, he's just one of these individuals that when you hear him speak, when you look at how animated he is and how dramatic everything is that goes on, it, it, you just wouldn't be surprised if he just burst into flames at any given moment. And that passion is, is it's raw, you know, because, I mean, Paul can get in your face. And Beth and I had come one time to the service. We were sitting on this side over here. He was so lit. I mean, he was just glowing. You know, but I mean, it's spit slinging and the whole bit. And there was this little girl set in front of us. She was maybe 10, 11 years old, just a cute little girl. And when very mannered, very attentive person, you know, when the whole thing was over, she looks at her mom. She goes, why is he so angry? <laughs> and I wanted to explain to her, you know, well, it's his passion. I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to let that one idle. But Paul's a, he, he's a different kind of person than I am. And, you know, most of you know Paul. And that's why I can make fun of him this morning. Because I thought about Paul. And I was like, you know, what would it be like if somebody just asked Paul a simple question like, how do you open a door? I got this picture in my head. Because Paul would come and he would tell you in great expectation that there is something on the other side of the door. That he was going to pray to God and every Bible verse had come into his being about how he could open the door. And by the touch of God, he placed his hand on the door and when he turned the knob, the door did come open. He walked to the other side and give God the glory. That's Paul Ryder. That's not me. Okay, but you know we're blessed with a great worship team, great people here. We're also blessed with a lot of pastors. You know, there's another pastor here. Well, and if you ask Brent Morrison, and I'm wearing his shoes, by the way, you need to take notice of that. If you ask Brent Morrison about how do you open a door, he would say, "Isn't it just like God?" to give us the opportunity to look at this door and consider what's on the other side, to bring us to a place to where we know that his goodness is beyond what we can see right now. And it gives me chance to take my son Sam and say, here's how we open a door. And we put your little hand on the knob and you turn it and you pass through and praise God. I'm not that guy. <laughs> but we're so blessed at the way there's yet another pastor. He's so simple. So soft-spoken. And if I asked Vince about, how do you open a door? You walk over, you put your hand on the knob, and go right through. <laughs> Praise be to God. And I've watched Vince talk to people, and they look at him, and they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What do you mean by this? And says, it's real simple. You walk over to the door, put your hand on the knob, turn it, go through. Praise be to God. And they're like a calf looking at a new gate. 
quit using all these big words and these abstract concepts. Just tell me how to go through the door. Vince is like, you walk over to the door. You put your hand on the knob, turn it, and you go through the door. Praise be to God. And then they kind of start to get it, and they realize that there is simplicity in everything that he offers. I'm not that guy. And we are so blessed at the Way Church that there's yet even another pastor who is already offended that I made fun of him this morning. That door doesn't stand a chance when I turn on this knob. That door doesn't stand a chance when I turn on this knob. Christy's over here. Just one time. One time, Christy. Just get it all Stevie Wonders. Now, I told the first service, I'll tell you, I've made fun of all of them. Next week, you get to see all of them make fun of me. So that's going to be fun. If you would, join me in the reading of God's Word. And our scripture today, we're going to be in John 3.16. If you would, please stand with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And just join me as we pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, thanking you for this great day. Thanking you for a time that we get to come to you. We get to praise you, to worship you, to honor you. And we're going to open your word, Lord, and we're going to try to look at it with new eyes. We're going to try to see how captivating and how wonderful you are in everything that's in the Bible. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Y'all liked that J.R. Beckley thing, didn't you? <laughs> well, what I wanted to bring to you today is something that you've heard all your life. You've heard it asked you have asked it, and it's just such a simple thing. What time is it? It's just a question. What time is it? And if you ask somebody, what time is it? Well, they probably would tell you the time. Or they might give you some other, you know, kind of construct to be able to get a reference of where you're at in the day. <clears throat> when I read the Bible the thing that I am really taken about is when I ask that question, what time is it? The time is always, always now. The past is gone. The future is not coming yet. But we're always now. So we have to be mindful about where we are and what's going on around us. We have to understand that God is not relegated to time. God is eternal. He was before time, 
and he is after time. Time is something that he made for us so that we can deal. We have to take things in degrees and by process. So really it's God hitting the big red easy button for humanity and saying, I give you this, I'm not part of it, but you have a way to be able to cope. And I wanted to read something to you from C.S. Lewis. This is out of The Great Divorce. Human beings, since they cannot see the future, can only talk about the fate of people by talking about uncertain possibilities. The possibility that people will choose God or they, they would choose hell. The ability to choose between possibilities is the essence of freedom and of humanity. Therefore, if human beings could see the fate of the universe, the act of doing so would destroy their sense of freedom, and therefore they would cease to be human. Human beings must live in time. They must live each moment not knowing what etern eternal reality holds. But we're given hope. You know, we're human beings and we cannot see the future. We can hope and we can think and we can pray and we can do all this stuff. But there's a reason that we have this, what we call good news, or this gospel inside of us. Is that our God is before time and he's after time. In other words, there, there isn't a clock that God is setting on going, well, I'll do that in a minute. When you're talking about something in the eternal it's always now. This is why I think it's important for us to be able to begin to realize that the time's always now. Um, you're given any proposition, like maybe being caught on fire. When's the time to put it out? Now. Right now, as a matter of fact. So anyway, our eternity began as soon as we were conceived. You know, you're born, your eternity began at that point. You got to think about that and how special a gift that life is, that God offers it to us. But it wasn't just for this time. It's for all eternity. So it, it kind of got me asking questions, and I was like, if I had eternity to do a thing, what would that look like? I've got a lot of buddies that play golf. So I just kind of was able to put it into that framework. So, you know, I'm talking to Adam and, hey, what do you want to do today? I want to play some golf. Okay. Where do you want to play? He goes, Pluto. We'll play a round of golf on Pluto. Okay. Well, we have to get busy now. We've got to build a spaceship. We've got to fuel it up. We've got to fly to the planet. We got to terraform the planet. We got to build the golf course. We got to make it pretty. And then we can play the round of golf for however long we want to. Now, if you asked me that question in my current framework, I was like, oh, it can't be done. Because, I mean, just the flight from Pluto or to Pluto is a lot of years, much less. I don't know how long it takes to terraform a planet. But the idea being, if I'm not caught in the construct of time, what's the limit? What would you do if time were not the thing that robbed you of your possibility? So anyway, that, uh, 
that whole thing was all to ask this question, why did God make us? You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and He created and created and created, and then all of a sudden there was man, and He breathed life into His nostrils. What was the purpose of this? God didn't have to have us. He didn't need us for any specific thing. His whole kingdom's already established, already in operation, already doing its stuff. But he loved us. And we go back to our scripture, very first line. For God so loved the world. It was out of love that God said, I want to make people. And I love people. Just absolutely adores us. So I went to Google and I found 101 verses that speak specifically about why God loves us. Now, originally I was going to read all these to you. And then in the first service I read a few and I watched some people get sleepy. So I'm just going to summarize today. But we'll go to Genesis 2.2. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man out from the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. This is what God loves. And we'll skip all the way up to Revelation. You notice I'm flipping pages here. Revelation 4.11. Worthy, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And all of these other verses that I have in here, they're powerful. But the idea was this, to summate it, the Bible is the greatest love letter ever written. And it is God saying, I was here before you, and I love you, and I'll be there for you when all this is over. That's amazing. But the interesting thing about that is that the Bible's not about us. It's about God. We're called to worship him, to honor him, to praise him, to glorify him. A lot of Christianese words in there, you know. You have to start taking all that and disseminating. It's like, what is that? You know, what does it mean to glorify God? If I just walked up to you and handed you a slip of paper and said, please glorify God now in front of the whole congregation. I mean, how would you go about doing that? What's the thought that comes up in your mind? You know, some people would say, well, I would sing a song. And some people would say, well, I would clothe a homeless person. Or some people would say, maybe I'll just make somebody laugh. All those things glorify God. The very act of breathing glorifies God. The fact that we are alive is evidence of who he is. So it's incumbent, on, it's incumbent upon us to be able to glorify him back. We don't want to be selfish. So, what this whole thing that I'm driving at right here is speaks of truth. And there is a, uh, a conception called absolute truth. And to illustrate absolute truth for you, there are no square circles. Now, all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, it stands to reason. You know, there are also people who will tell you that there is no such thing as an absolute truth, which in 
itself is an absolute truth. It's telling you that the possibility can't exist. So the idea of absolute truth is something that we have to reckon with. And what I find absolute truth in from cover to cover is the Bible. It is something I can trust. It's something I can depend on. And it's something that I can make part of my life. It will help me. It will shape me. It will mold me. It will bring me through things that I really didn't know or understand. I've been able to encounter any situation just from what I find in Scripture. <coughs> so our word over the church this year is heal. And when you think about that, do you think about it as a noun? Do you think about it as a verb? Well, it's both, obviously. But where are you at with that word? Which is an important thing. Uh, miracles we see in the Bible occurred a lot of the times, I think, just for people to be able to have faith. But we, as Christians, a lot of the time, we pray for a miracle we expect a miracle, but maybe sometimes we don't see it. But that's because we have faith, and our faith should push us on to the end of this. In other words, it's easy to say you justify it. You say, well, you know, I've been praying for a healing, but maybe me not being healed today is going to serve somebody else as a testimony to them for their perseverance. Well, maybe. But by the same token, I serve a God who can and he does. So anyway, we heal. And I started thinking about that real hard. You know, what's, what's the thing that I know how to do to help me heal, to help you heal? Because healing in and of itself needs to start with me. I need to understand there's a condition that I need to fix. Maybe it's selfishness. I'm a very selfish person. If you don't believe me, set me on fire and watch how fast every priority in my life goes away. I'm going to deal with fire now. All about now. So I need, to, I need to work on that. But as I become healed, then my wife, my family can be healed. And as they are healed, then that can spread out. And this is the nature of God. He wants that. He wants to just find that one person who says, bring me your faith and let me do for you the unknown or the unusual or the fantastic. Let me do this for you. So one of the first things we can do with that is look in ourselves. And I don't find a greater way to be able to heal than to get into the Word. And I've already established that it's an absolute truth. Everything in the Bible is about truth. And there's so many verses, and I put them all down here, but if you want to see them, just email me. I'll give you the list. But for me to seek truth, for me to live in His truth, for me to abide in truth, to deal with people in truth, to praise God in truth. It is just rife in the scripture. It goes on and on and on. And all of a sudden, I start to see as, 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 as I learn and I study and I get this inside me and it gets in my head and it gets in my heart 
that I get healed. If nothing else, it convicts me and it puts me in that place where I go, I need to get that healed. I got to fix that. And a lot of times I can't fix it. I just have to go to the Father. And He's faithful and He does it every time. But reading the Bible is a challenge. Um, for me, it's a lot of fun. I love it. I have more just magical moments in my mind reading about these people. Now, Paul talked about uh, last week <coughs> about reading the Bible and stuff like that. And, of course, even Savannah had got up here and said it's a new year. It's a great time to get a Bible reading plan. You read the Bible through in one year. Yeah, I want to do that. Did I do it? You asked yourself that question. But the whole thing is about this. You don't want to go about it haphazardly. You don't want to go about it in such a way to where you're just gutting it out. Because it's alive. It's a living word. And there's so much in it that it's just fun. And it's interesting. So anyway, Paul had said something that really kind of struck me last week. He was talking about page flipping in your Bible. You know, you just take the Bible and whatever finger my verse, or the verse my finger is on, that's what I'm going to deal, deal with right there. So imagine if you did this and you came up to Genesis 22.2. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, if I page flip that, Mason's going to have a bad day. And that's not God's intent, because that's only a part of the story. So I have to understand contextualization. And I've got to understand that, you know, just a Bible verse, we went through the twisted, twisted scripture stuff. You can take this stuff and it can mean the wrong thing if you want it to. So it's, it's a good thing to read it all. And a lot of times you just have to read it. Um, I would never tell somebody, start at the beginning and read it to the end because that's the only way you can do it. Because I don't believe that. And uh, it kind of comes to five things that I've sort of pared it down to that you need to be aware of. You need to study your Bible. You need to get in God's Word. And remember that this is a love letter from Him to you. But number one is you don't have to start at the beginning. If you ask me, a great place to start is John. And you'll encounter that scripture that we're looking at today, John 3.16. Pretty quick. All right? So the whole thing about this is to try. Make the effort. The time is when? It's now. It's always now. Pick one book and then work your way through it. You don't have to be a master theologian or anything to just sit and read. And, you know, Paul, once again, last week, he talked about, you know, you get through Genesis, and that's kind of interesting, and then you hit Numbers and Leviticus, and it starts to go like, ah! Oh. You just want to stab your eyes out. But there's an importance to these books. There's a reason why the genealogies are gone through. There's a reason why these 613 laws are presented. 
But then after you get past that, then you start getting some really cool stories about a whole lot of messed up people. And it just gets fun. My favorite one is Jonah. And we talked about this just a little bit this morning. <coughs> Jonah's on the boat, and he's not doing what God told him to do, which was go to Nineveh and tell him to repent. The boat's going to sink. He offers himself up. So I'm the problem. Throw me overboard. Just kill me. Get it over with. I can't deal with this anymore. They throw him over the boat. He gets swallowed up by the whale. Three days later, he gets puked up on a beach, stark white because he's been bleached and all his clothes are gone. So he's buck naked and he walks into Nineveh, white and naked, and says, repent. And they did. A few days later, he's sitting up on a hill looking over the city and he's going, kill him, God. Just kill him. Please, God, just kill him. I didn't want him to repent. You wanted to repent. Please kill these people. And he's just, he's furious. And the mother walks by with her little girl in my mind. And the little girl says, why is he so angry? <laughs> the mother says, just hush, honey. That's our pastor. So if you kind of start looking at things in maybe a little bit different way, it's more than just words on a page. Read a little every day. That would serve you well. When I was younger, I would try to read one chapter a night. And you would get to those. This one begat this one. This one begat that one. And I was just like, oh, God, please let them be done because I just want to go to sleep. Please. But I would just gut through it. And once you get through it, it moves on. Pray before you begin to read. If you ask God to open something up to you, he will. But you have to ask. You have to say, okay, God, I'm going to read now. <laughs> and it's your book. So if you've got an audience with the author, ask him. Tell him to just open it up and make it a little bit more live for you. And the last thing was to write down questions. And then find somebody who can help you with this. If you can't find anybody, come to me. I just named a whole lot of pastors in this place who would all welcome the opportunity to open up scripture for you, to show you truth. That's kind of the reason they're so passionate. It's the reason that they are who they are. So if you've got questions, if there's things you don't understand, write it down, bring it to somebody and say, I don't get it. And you may go through two or three people that say, well, I don't get it either. But that's okay. Because you'll eventually, in your pursuit, find somebody that does. And you guys know that uh, when Jesus was on the earth, there was only the Old Testament, right? There was no New Testament. Because he is the New Testament. We get to have the glory of both worlds. So that's why when I say you don't have to start at the beginning... But for me, the book of John is a great place to begin because it talks about love and power and truth. And it talks about the promise of God and the reason for Christ. It brings all the rest of this into light. So that's just a personal take. <clears throat> so as I'm reading the Bible, 
I understand that there is an effect that it causes in my life. And to just really put it in a word, it's to heal. The word that's over this church, the thing we all need to be thinking about, aware of, and praying about. And let me give you this out of 1 Peter 2 through 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Man, I just, you know, my heart kind of leaps when I feel this, you know, I hear God's special possession. We have no idea how delighted he is with us. How wonderfully pleased he is that he created us. So, it kind of comes to our verse, John 3.16. You've heard it a thousand times. You've probably recited it as many. You see it on t-shirts. If you've been to the WWF watching Paul Grider, people got the sign that says John 3.16. So anyway, I wanted you to maybe see this in a little bit different light today. Let's take John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to put this in a little bit different context for you. And this is not something that I did, but this is something that, that I'd gotten from Elmer Towns and I just really thought it was beautiful. But if you break the verse down, for God, who is the greatest being, so, which is the greatest degree, loved, the greatest affection, the world, the greatest object of affection, that he gave is the greatest act. His only, the greatest treasure, begotten, the greatest relationship, Son, the greatest gift. That whosoever is the greatest invitation believes is the greatest trust. In him, the greatest object of faith should not perish is the greatest deliverance. But have is the greatest promise. Everlasting which is the greatest time, life, the greatest blessing. So let me read to you John 3.16 a little different way. The greatest being to the greatest degree offered the greatest affection to the greatest object of affection, the greatest act of the greatest treasure from the greatest relationship, the greatest gift, to the greatest invitation, the greatest trust, to the greatest object of faith, the greatest deliverance, to the greatest promise, to the greatest time, to the greatest blessing. Yeah, go ahead. This book is full of that. This just happens to be a very popular one. It's probably one of my favorites, and I hope it's one of yours. So we talked about God's timing and his place in time, and that He's not relegated to time. We're relegated to time. And we talked about absolute truth and that God's word establishes this principle. 
And we talked about reading the Bible and how that can benefit your life. Well, there's one more thing. And that is that there is a danger in not reading the Bible. If you go to 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Well, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> and it's all about the lack of doing a simple thing, like reading a book. Now, obviously, what we read in the book should affect us. It should heal us. It should empower us. It should make us glorify God in the very act by what, what we're doing, but then also what we go about to do. It should glorify God. And we do all this because this book is about him. This whole creation is about him. His glory, his honor, his power. But we're able to be a part of it. He not only allowed this, but he created us to be a part of it. So you read the book and he says, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in the end is give glory and power and honor to the Father. Everything in between is all about his relationship with us. What we mean to him. He asks for very little. It's just that we love him. That we honor him. That we obey him. So we try to read. It's important to comprehend. And through this process, we heal. We start to see who we are as an individual. We start to see the things that we need to make changes in. We start to see that there's something bigger than just our own little agenda. So take that home with you today. And um, go ahead. Uh, when you read the Bible, when you study God's word, when you're thinking about the thing that's in his word, it's, it's a weighty thing. It's got character. And it's got all this substance. You hear it all the time. It's a living word. I don't care how many times you read the Bible. Every time you get into it, you'll find something new. If you look. If you try. If you make the effort now, the payoffs are immediate. If you're somebody that does not know Christ, or if you're somebody that's been struggling with your relationship with Christ, or maybe you think you've got a relationship, but you're just not sure, we want to give you an opportunity to be able to change that. And it's a very simple thing. It's about understanding that there's a gap between us and the Father and that Jesus bridges this gap. He's the only way. He's the only way we can fill this up. And he did it for us freely. You only have to ask. Surrender to him.